Good morning. So I, I taught gatherings of foreigners who would come together when we came into a city. One of the passages I taught is a passage I want to go over with you this morning. Psalm 33. This was a very encouraging passage to those that were in over there. And I think it can be encouraging to us who are in over here. Hopefully I can bring you some encouragement from them. So let me read just the first three verses. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalmist starts by calling the righteous to sing joyfully. Most of us say, yeah, that's great for the righteous, but what am I supposed to do? What's He calling me to do? Well, one of the advantages that we have of living on this side of Jesus' earthly ministry is we understand where our righteousness comes from. It's not on how well we perform. It's on whether we have accepted the forgiveness of our sins based on His death and resurrection, whether we have trusted Him with our lives as our Lord. And if you've done these things, you are righteous. The word there in the Hebrew means you're straight. It refers to like a straight edge that lines up, measures up perfectly to a true line. If you've put your confidence in Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ, you're straight. You measure up as far as God is concerned. Even as you continue to struggle with your flesh, even as you continue to deal with your, your constant failure to measure up, as far as God's concerned, you're straight. You're straight with Him. You measure up. And if you have been putting off getting straight with Him, getting right with Him, let me encourage you not to put it off any longer. Whatever your excuse is a poor one. Let me just call on you to to get straight with Him, to accept what He's accomplished in His Son, Jesus Christ, and to trust Him with your life. And then the rest of this psalm can be yours. In fact, eternal life can be yours. Well, the psalmist goes on to uh, say that it's appropriate for you to praise God. And then he calls on us to praise God, to, to, to learn musical instruments so that we can praise God using musical instruments, to, to sing a new song. Think of new reasons to, uh, to praise Him, new ways to, to notice in your life how wonderful He is, how good He is, how generous He is. Think of new reasons to worship Him. And to praise Him skillfully, to sing skillfully. You know, skill isn't something that comes spontaneously. It's something that takes attention. It takes focus. It takes our energy. And the psalmist is encouraging us to apply energy, apply focus, apply our attention to learning better how to praise Him, how to notice His goodness, how, how to notice His love in our lives, the things that He's done for us, the things that He's accomplishing in us and around us, to apply our skill to seeing these things and to grow skillful through the day of thanking Him and praising Him and worshiping Him. We're to praise Him skillfully. That means the best we can do. Not half-hearted. Not the best anybody can do. You know, I will never sing like Bill. I'll never play the piano like Susie. I just don't have the raw material. I'll never get there. But I'm not called to be best in the world. I'm called to be the best I can do. To offer him my 
very best to, to, to explore in my own life how to worship Him and to see His goodness and to experience His love and faithfulness and to acknowledge that and to praise Him and to sing to Him from my very toes just to really throw my heart into praising Him. And I can grow in that skill. You know, quite honestly, I don't think He's terribly impressed with any of our skill at praising Him. Even the best of us must sound to Him somewhat like a... Uh, our first grade piano recital. But when we do our best out of love for him, it sounds beautiful to him. It fills his heart with pride because it comes from our heart that it's in love with him. But when even the best of us doesn't give their best, gives a half-hearted effort, it reflects how little we really value him. And it saddens him. It robs him of the joy of our praise, the praise that he really desires from us. Now, why does God desire praise from us so much? Why is he always telling us to praise him? He seems to ask for it all the time. Is he insecure? Does he need our strokes? Obviously not. You see, God made us. He created us and he knows how we tick. He knows how we relate and what's good and healthy in relationships. He knows how we enjoy things. And for all of these reasons, he tells us, praise me. It's good. It's healthy. It's right. It's the way you're made. You know, just think about it. If you're standing looking at a beautiful sunset, you've got to say, isn't that beautiful? doesn't matter if nobody else is around. You still can't help it. You still have to say, that is gorgeous. It just has to come out. See, praise is the, the response, the natural response to beauty and value. And unless there's something unhealthy in the beholder, beauty and value will always evoke praise. It'll always lead us to say, that is beautiful. That is incredible. We just have to tell somebody. You know, even if you just read a, a good book or saw a movie that really affected you, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to say, that's a great book. Read it. You've got to praise it. It's the way we're wired. In fact, that's the way we enjoy things. You don't really enjoy that book unless you can tell somebody how good it was. You don't really enjoy that sunset as much unless you can share it with somebody. And the fact is, praise is part of the way we enjoy things. God made us in such a way that praise isn't the result of just the result of enjoying. It is part of enjoying. It fills out the enjoyment. It culminates the enjoyment. It's part of the experience. You know, you see this in, in young lovers. They'll tell anybody who'll listen how wonderful the other one is. But even more than that, they tell each other how wonderful they are. It's part of the way they enjoy each other. It's part of the way they experience each other because praise really is the medium of communication for those who love. It really is the language of love because it's the way we enjoy someone we love. So as we begin to see God clearly as He is, see His beauty, see His value, and that begins to affect us. Unless there's something unhealthy in us blocking it, it will erupt and flow over into praise. It'll flow over into worship. It's appropriate that it do so. That's the language of our relationship with God, is praise. That's how we delight in and enjoy and fully experience that relationship. See, it's appropriate 
that we respond that way. It's, it's fitting, and that's exactly what the psalmist says. He says, It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. It's appropriate. I like the New American Standard here. It says, Praise is becoming to the upright. The word becoming really catches the Hebrew. It's more than just fitting. It is fitting. It's appropriate. But it's also becoming. It's attractive. It looks good. Praise looks good on you. You know, Americans spend billions of dollars a year on, on diets and on makeup and on, on health clubs and all of these things to make ourselves more attractive. But really, we're going about it all wrong. You see, the thing that makes us attractive is not the depth of our tan or, or the latest hairstyle, but it's an inner glow. It, it, it's, it's a heart that's found its peace and its rest in God. It, it's, a, it's a smile that radiates out from a heart full of love for Him and exp- overflowing in praise for Him. There's an attractiveness there, a radiance that really does shine through. In fact, that's the word that David uses in the next psalm, Psalm 34, verse 5. David says, those that look at God are radiant. It glows and it's attractive. As I was talking to some of the people who minister in China, they were talking about how important this attractiveness, this radiance really is. You see, the people of China, for the most part, are filled with hopelessness, emptiness. And it's written all over their faces. There's just a, a deadness about them. You know, for the last 50 years, they've been told that there is no God and that the government will meet all of their needs, even their deepest longings. And for the same 50 years, they've seen that communism cannot deliver on that promise and they've got nothing to replace it with. Not even the numbing uh, materialism that we have to numb our hearts. They have nothing. And so that, that, that glow, that, that attractiveness... It's very important for those ministering where there's something different about them. There's something beautiful about them. It opens the door to explain what our hearts really do long for, that love relationship with God. And in our society, gutted by, uh, by selfishness and materialism and the pursuit of pleasure, that radiance, that inner glow becomes more and more unusual. And cultivating that relationship with God. Getting to know Him and to see Him as He is. And see His beauty and His value. And allow that to overflow into praise is the most important thing. It's the starting place of having something to offer those around you. So if you really want to be attractive, save your money. Stop worrying about how much you weigh. And begin investing your time and your energy and getting to know Him and seeing His beauty and seeing His value and letting that overflow into praise. That, more than anything else, will equip you to love the people around you. That, more than anything else, will make you winsome and attractive. Then the psalmist tells us about uh, his primary reason for praise verse 6 or verse 4 I mean he says for the word of the Lord is right and true 
He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The first thing that comes to his mind when he thinks of reasons to praise, reasons to to, to see God or how to see God as he is, the first thing that comes to his mind is the word of God. He says it's it's reliable, it's trustworthy. In fact, he uses the same word, it's straight. You can put your confidence in it. Everything God does is consistent with his word. In fact, that's what he says when he says, and all his work is is done in faithfulness. That word faithfulness uh, alludes to the fact that everything that God does is consistent with what He said He will do. God always does what He says He will do. And that same word ultimately shows us what God is like, who God is, so that we can come to know Him and see Him as He is and begin to be affected by that, to, to see His beauty and His value. We're told that God loves righteousness and justice. He really enjoys, he loves to do what's right, to do what's generous, to do what's kind and good and healthy. See, this passage isn't talking about what he likes to see in others. There are other passages that talk about him wanting to see justice and and righteousness in his people. But this is talking about what he likes himself, the way he likes to be. He enjoys being kind and generous. He really loves to do the thing that is good and healthy. He really finds satisfaction in treating people lovingly. That's the kind of person he is. That's who he is. That's the way our God is. And the the, the testimony of this, the evidence of this is, is written all over the world, the psalmist says. Anywhere you look, if you really look with eyes that can see, you'll see how much he loves goodness and beauty and kindness and love. You see, it is God's word that the Armstrongs are taking to Indonesia. And it is God's word that the Ivans and Raynette are taking to China. It's as simple as that. They've gone to tell people what God has said so that people can see who God is and therefore be moved to worship him. You know, quite honestly, that woman in the taxi, all she was doing was sharing God's word, that an idol is a vain thing, that only the living and true God can save. As our field staff go and share God's word with people in Asia, they see the power of God to change lives, to bring hope, to turn hopelessness and emptiness into overflowing fullness that erupts into praise. Quite honestly, that's all we are called to do, is to share God's word with people around us. Not necessarily chapter and verse, but just tell them what God has said so that they can begin to see what God is like and can come to put their trust in Him and confidence in Him and begin to see His beauty and His value and have their hearts filled to overflowing. See, that's all we're called to do. That's God's plan. And as we just share His word, He will show Himself and He'll show His power. You know, the power of God's word is something the psalmist wants to make really clear. That's where he goes from here in verse 6 to talk about the power of God's word. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. 
their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalmist says, be blown away. There is nothing, there is no one like him. When he speaks, it happens. He spoke and boom, the universe came into existence. You know, the real big bang was the sound of his voice. He spoke and it sprang into being. There was no sweat to him. He spoke and the power of his word accomplished it. And think of the most powerful thing on our earth. The, the, the power of the ocean. It's incomprehensible to us. But he speaks and it stays where it belongs. You know, we build these re- retaining walls and these big jetties and these things to try to hold just a couple hundred yards of the ocean back to protect a pier or protect a city. And a storm comes along and in a matter of seconds it's gone. It's wiped away. Our best and most powerful efforts are nothing. But God just speaks. And those Thousands of miles of ocean, every inch of them, are absolutely under his control. That's unthinkable. This alone should force us to our knees to worship him. This power, this absolute sovereignty and control. How foolish, how ridiculous it would be for, for any puny human being to do anything but tremble at his presence, or for any, any nation of human beings to do anything but tremble in his presence. But they don't. They pass laws against worshiping him. They put his people in prison and execute them and torture them. They force young women to have abortions. They take children away from their parents. You know, the worst things that we fear for our society are already taking place in China. But listen to the psalmist's response to that. Verse 10. The Lord nullifies the plans of the nation. He frustrates the intentions of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. Literally the psalmist says the Lord nullifies the plans of the nations. He makes them come to nothing. He frustrates the intentions of the people. What they think is going to happen doesn't happen. It happens the opposite. Let me give you an example of this. Last September, just eight months ago, there was a secret gathering of leaders, of Chinese Christian leaders, in in a county north of where Raynette is. And the Public Security Bureau raided that gathering. 120 leaders were arrested. They were put into prison where they were mistreated and tortured with electric shock and, and, and beaten. But when they would be... Uh, when, they came, when they were allowed to, they would come together and they agreed among themselves that they were no longer going to fear persecution. They had experienced persecution and God was faithful. They realized that their fear was worse than their experience of it and they were committed to boldly speak out for the Lord and boldly worship. And so they would gather in the prison yard and sing His praises 
And so the public security people said, we can't have this. So they split them up. They spread them around through the prison. And prisoners started coming to the Lord. They started leading other prisoners to Christ. And they said, we can't have this. So they took these people and they spread them out to all the prisons in the surrounding counties, trying to divide them up, to separate them, so they couldn't build each other up and encourage each other. And hundreds of prisoners began to become Christians in all of the surrounding counties. This last December, the decision was made to release them all. So they were all released. And they came back together. And they said, we no longer fear persecution. And they began to boldly witness and testify. They used to go, they went around to the surrounding counties. They split up and began to share the gospel. And in a period of 20 days, 16,000 people became Christians, gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Not only that, they began making plans for how they could reach other parts of China. They started making plans to send missionaries to Hong Kong and Taiwan. They even made, were trying to figure out ways to send missionaries from this county in China to the Middle East and start witnessing there. They wanted to reach Jerusalem. You know, the nations stomp on the church of the living God and it just spreads the fire farther. These Christians were fearless. They're bold. They're still, right now, as, even as we speak, having a profound testimony, spreading the gospel openly worshiping, openly speaking in the name of Christ. He frustrates the intentions of the people. He makes the plans of the nations come to nothing. But the plans of God's heart go on from generation to generation. Let me share another situation. Back in 1920, a young man by the name of Peter Torgerson left Norway to become a missionary to a certain province in China. Uh, many of you have heard the story. I've told it before. But anyway, Peter took his family, and uh, they moved to this certain province and began living among the Chinese people, ministering to them in the name of Christ, loving them in his name. And he had a profound impact. And during the 1930s, when the Japanese invaded China, Peter Torgerson was killed while helping and protecting the Chinese people of this province. Over 50 years later, in 1991, the government of this particular province dedicated a monument to Peter Torgerson. His, his memory was, is still alive today. He is somewhat of a folk hero. Pe- hero. People remember how he lived and how he loved people. And so in honor of this unveiling, his descendants were invited. And one of those descendants, one of his grandsons, uh, Finn Torgerson who was ministering in Indonesia. Incidentally, most of the folks that uh, Nick and Laura Armstrong are ministering with are are very good friends of of Finn and Sandy Torgerson. But anyway, Finn was there at this unveiling, and he was approached at this time by a very high Chinese government official who said, we want you to put a team together and come back and do what your grandfather did. And he said, wait a minute, my grandfather was a Christian. I'm a Christian. Everything we do would be in the name of Christ as Christians. And they said, we understand that. That's fine. As long as you don't have any large public gatherings, as long as you don't distribute literature that's going to get us in trouble, we don't care about your religious activity. Just come back, bring a team, and do what your grandfather did. So Peter, or so Finn Torgerson has been invited and authorized by the government of this province in China to come back and minister to the people there in the name of Christ. 
One of our main uh, objectives in Hong Kong in the meetings that we had there was to meet with Finn Torgerson and to make plans for putting this team together. Our field staff, Steve and Peggy Ko, are going to be central members of this team that is being put together. Right now they're in California raising support. They're about halfway to their support. But our plans, Lord willing, are to have them leave here for Asia this August. And that team will start. The door was open for our field staff in Boise, Idaho in 1993 by the faithful ministry of a Norwegian missionary in 1939. The plans of God's heart are unstoppable. They go on from generation to generation. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. The next section of the psalm uh, goes on to point out that not only is God good, not only is His word sure, He's able to accomplish what He says He will accomplish, not only does His word have power, but it points out that God is paying attention. Verse 13. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. You know, sometimes as our people are involved in uh, just day-to-day life, trying to survive in, in Asia, it feels like God's not paying attention. How could God see all those people? I mean, in Indonesia, there are over 180 million people packed on to those little islands, over 230 per square mile, just person on top of person, and almost all of those people are Muslims. The society is moving as fast as it can away from the true God. And in China, there are 1.2 billion people, most of them packed along about a third of the territory on the coastal plains, just person on top of person. They're just a sea of humanity. You know, as we were walking down the street or trying to ride these incredibly crowded buses, you know, we discovered there is no absolute number for what can fit on a Chinese bus. There's always one more. N plus one is the number that can actually fit on a Chinese bus. They have guys in some of the bus stations whose job it is to push and to shove and to pack you in there. And they really do. It is incredible. But we were, you know, we're tall enough that we can see over all of these heads. And there's just this sea of black Chinese heads, all of them unknown, too of many of them to ever know. But then we stop and realize that our Lord knows each one of those people. He loves each one of them. He created their hearts. He knows the deep longings of their hearts, the longing to, to be secure, the longing to be significant, the longing to be loved, the longing to be important to someone. And he not only sees the longings of their heart, he understands how that 
affects what they do, how that translates into their behavior. Behavior that just seems so obnoxious to us some of the time. Just all the crowding and pushing and shoving and rudeness and swearing and spitting. You know, it's all our, our, our field staff can do sometimes to just elbow their way through and try to survive. But then they realize, again, that God knows each of those people. And He loves them. He understands and wants to meet the deep needs of their hearts. And he understands the behavior that comes out of there. And he wants to give rest to those hearts that will transform that behavior. Whether it's the woman rudely pushing her way in front of you in the marketplace. Or whether it's the public security agent making the decision to arrest a believer. Only God who made their heart and understands their heart and therefore understands their actions can change those actions by fulfilling that heart and he can do that each one of those people one at a time that brings us to some perspective to remember that the hope for china for hope for indonesia is not that there would be all these transformations in the society god brings those people in front of us one at a time and that one person who is standing directly in front of you In front of our field staff, God gives the opportunity to express His love to them and to share His word with them. And as we do that, He reveals Himself to them. Meets the deep needs of their heart, which begins to transform their behavior. And each individual transformed life begins to transform all of society. See, it would be nice if the governments over there would move toward democracy. It would be nice if there were more economic opportunities. It would be nice if if civil freedoms were honored and and the political process were changed. But the hope for these societies is not in a changed political process any more than the hope for a king is a strong army or a cavalry. It may seem that way, but it isn't true. The hope for these societies is individuals, one at a time, having their hearts transform, coming to know their God, and as a result, having their society transform. Quite honestly, the same thing is true of our society. As Americans, we have many precious freedoms that allow us to be involved in the political process, and we should take advantage of those, those freedoms and be involved in the political process to, to the degree that God calls us to. But that political process is not our hope. The hope for our society is not a changed political process. The hope for our society is not in our, the strength of our numbers. The hope for our society is not in the strength of our arguments. It's for, the hope for our society is changed lives, one at a time. People who are led to see that what they follow is a false idol that can never satisfy and are led to find their true fulfillment in worshiping the true God. There are many things that we can do for our society. There are many things that we should do for our society. But the best thing we ever do for our society is share the gospel with just one person. That person that God puts in front of you. A person who already, he already knows their heart. And he understands the behavior that comes out of that heart that is restless, has never found rest in him. 
the, the advocating abortion, the, the buying into to perverted sexual lifestyles, the, the trying to silence believers' voice in our society. All of these things that we see as so damaging and destructive. He knows where that came from. A heart that has never found rest in Him. And the answer for our society is transformed hearts that find their rest in Him. Well, you see, God is particularly watching out for Nick and Laura in Indonesia. His eye is particularly on Nicholas and Danelle and Raynette in China. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes it feels like they've got no resources. There's no hope. They're in a famine of resources. There just isn't anything that they can use. They have no influence. They have no wealth. They have no personal freedoms. They have no fellowship to build them up and to strengthen them. All of these resources are are lacking. They're in a famine of resources. They look back on us and they dream of having the resources we have. But in some ways, they're in an advantage to us because not having the resources. They are forced in many ways to give up their own schemes on how to survive living in China, how to handle the health risks to their family, how to handle the pressure of school and work, how to handle the fear for where their societies are going. They can give up their plans and their schemes and their ability to control and put their hope only in the Lord. And when they do that, they experience His unfailing love. And their hearts are led to overflow in praise. Let me read the last couple of verses of our psalm. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. See, the eye of the Lord is on you and on me. He's paying particular attention to you and to me. And sometimes, as we're just living our lives, trying to fight our way through, it is awfully hard to get our attention off our resources. We have so many of them. It takes us so long to exhaust them all. And so often we're distracted. We put our hope in these resources. Now the fact is God may use some of the resources that He gives us to meet our needs. But resources come and go. There's no security in them. It is the Lord our God who meets our need. And in Him only can we trust. And as we learn to get our eyes off of our resources and our ability to control our lives and our financial situation and the people around us and put our focus looking to hope in Him and Him alone, then we experience His unfailing love. And experiencing that unfailing love, we begin to see His beauty And His value. And we begin to see Him as He is. And our hearts begin to overflow with gratitude and praise and worship. As we see what a wonderful God we serve. Sing for joy to the Lord, you righteous. Praise looks good on you. Let's pray. Lord, I do want to pray. For Nick and Laura, 
just this weekend that you would uh, have a profound effect in that country through this seminar, that it would be a blessing to the nation, and as a result, doors would be open to the gospel, that perhaps even the sultan would hear the true gospel of your grace. Lord, we pray for uh, the Coes as they are preparing to join this team that you have been preparing for the last 50 years. Lord, we worship you that your plans do go from generation to generation. You cannot be stopped. Lord, we pray that you would work out the details, their financial needs, that you would work out uh, that team, and that team would have a, a powerful influence for you in that province. Lord, we pray for Raynette and the decision that she needs to come to about whether to move, that you would give wisdom there. You understand all the complexities and all the implications. We want her to be where you want her, so guide in that, that process. And we pray for the Ivans, that you would refresh them spiritually. You would build them up. You would give them a place where they can use their gifts and have others use their gifts to build them up in the context of your body gathered, that you would use the city they are in to become a center, to build your church. But Lord, even more, we pray that we here would take seriously your call to worship you, to praise you, to see you as you are. We pray that you would remove those things that are unhealthy in us, that inhibit and interfere with our ability to just overflow into worship that you would increase our skill at seeing your hand in our lives, seeing your goodness and your generosity, your beauty and your value, and that that would overflow, that our hearts full of love for you would radiate out, that we would become attractive, not because of the shape of our bodies, not because of the texture of our hair, but because of your spirit alive in us that would glow, that would cause others to see where their heart's deepest longings can be found. Give us a boldness to share, even with just one person. Lord, bring us that person. Put them in front of us. Give us the courage, the wisdom to share your word, that they too might see your goodness, see your glory, come to worship you, and have their hearts overflowing with praise. Lord, we just ask you to do these things because we know it honors you, it delights you, it enhances our relationship as we express our love to you in the words and the language of love, of praising you and of of experiencing your acceptance, your delight in us. And so, Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.